to Natural MD Radio, your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally starting now. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Welcome back to Natural MD Radio. I am so excited to have you here with me today and my extra special guest who is a fermentationist and the founder of Guts and Glory, possibly the best name of any online anything, Summer Bach. Summer, it is a pleasure to have you with me today, and I want to tell my audience about your special superpowers. Awesome. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So Summer is a trained herbalist with a background in microbiology. She's certified by Columbia University in integrative nutrition, and she has really wonderful online programs. And her online groups have a reputation for having a highly engaging and fun community atmosphere. And amidst the abundant and often conflicting health info out there, and there's so much out there on microbiome and fermentation and probiotics and yada, yada now, it's really nice to have someone who has made this their specialty to help us make really good decisions And one of Summer's big goals is to help us all be stronger and more energetic. Summer is a master at the why behind making changes in your diet and lifestyle. So whether you listen to her today or take her probiotic power cleanse, her gut rebuilding or fermentation and certification programs, you'll enjoy making gut healing more accessible, clear up confusion about probiotics and fermented foods, and get to be part of learning about this cool online business that also gives her the freedom to get outside and play every day. So this is a woman who is walking her talk. Summer, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about so many things. This is awesome. I love your work. And so I'm honestly very honored to be here and just have a chance to communicate with everybody in your tribe. Yay. Well, thank you. Well, I will tell you straight up, I grew up eating sauerkraut. My family is Jewish, so pickled foods were a part of our of our tradition. And of course, I grew up in New York, so who doesn't eat hot dogs with sauerkraut? Probably not the best way to eat sauerkraut, but maybe it made the hot dogs a little better. But I am the girl who drinks the sauerkraut out of the bottom. Like seriously, I love the sauerkraut juice. And when I was pregnant and had morning sickness, sauerkraut juice was the thing that I would drink. It's so amazing. It just does. It just like, I feel like it brightens up my stomach right away. Absolutely. You know, that's funny. I would, I tell people, uh, you know, when you have a stomach ache or acid reflux or indigestion or anything like that, you're feeling nauseous. I'm like, drink a little bit of the sauerkraut juice. And people are like, that sounds disgusting. But the truth is, is the first time you do it, your body will get helped. And after that point, you will learn to crave it. Like naturally, your body kicks in and says, you know what? This was actually a great idea. We'll do that next time too. I've actually poured out some of the sauerkraut juice into like a little glass and, and drink it. It just does something. I love it. So what fermented foods do you personally eat every day? That's a good question. I would say that I don't eat the same exact fermented foods every single day. Uh, I think of it more over the course of like a week or even two weeks, but I regularly enjoy kimchi. I love sauerkraut, all different flavors of sauerkraut. I like kefir. 
I often say kefir. I kind of say both, but um, I like the one that's made at home. That's really important to me. A lot better than the one that's made um, that you can buy in the stores because those are a very different product. I like using kefir grains, plopping these little starter cultures in the milk and letting it ferment on my counter for 24 hours. I love cheese. And every once in a while, I'll drink kombucha, but it's very seldom. I'll tell you the couple times where I drink it. And then beer sometimes, wine sometimes. And I love natto, N-A-T-T-O. It's a fermented soybean. It's, my goodness, one of my favorites. Uh, And then there's a million others. I love yogurt, you know, things like that. But I would say, you know, kimchi is one of my current like favorites at the moment. Oh, I love kimchi too. So you have already set up the stage perfectly for me for two really big questions I have. So I'm actually very pro miso and whether you are or not, I mean, I still love you, but um, I'm very curious. You, you mentioned natto and there is so much soy backlash that even in my book that I've just been working on, I've been hesitant to put miso because I don't want to deal with the soy backlash. And the same thing with yogurt. I mean, I am fortunate to live in a community where I can get local milk. I can get local goat yogurt, sheep yogurt. I could get local goat and sheep milk and make my own if I want to. But I'm hearing that you include some soy, fermented soy in the form of natto in your diet. I'm curious to hear what you think about miso. And then also it sounds like you're including actual animal dairy yogurt and kefir. Is that correct? It is. I was allergic to dairy for a few, quite a, quite a few years. And I was able to clear my food allergies, uh, just working on my gut health and really focusing on, uh, honestly, like it, it, for me, a lot of the last few steps of that was like working on stress and relaxation and getting the like daily stress that was like wrecking my gut under control. That I think that was the big final piece that helped me get over my food allergies. Um, but yeah, I've been doing testing and things like that. And so I'm clear of those. So I enjoy dairy. I really love miso. I forgot to mention miso because it's summertime here. It's like where I live, it's 102 degrees or something outside. It's so hot. So miso doesn't sound like the best thing to me right now, but in the winter, I eat it a lot. I'm not offended by soy when it's fermented and when it's organic. Like I really don't think that's the end of the world personally. And I think that those products, if you look at the history, those products have been around for a very long time. And when I eat natto and miso both, I feel a sense of satiation that I don't get from any other food. So I trust that. I trust that in terms of my own intuition and my, what, my, like what my body needs for nutrition. So, yeah, I mean, what do you do with any kind of backlash there? I would say, you know, you can make alternatives with natto and miso. I teach people in my fermentation certification program how to make those with all different kinds of beans. So you can even get chickpea ones and you can get it made with black beans. Um, you can get all different kinds and you can Absolutely. make it at home. Yeah. Ch- uh, chickpea miso is really nice. I, I, it's very gentle, soft. I find miso to be an incredibly neutral food. So when somebody is coming down with a cold or somebody's feeling a little off balance in their system, it's very settling and calming to the system. So I have, you know, for years included it and I do, immune boosting herbal miso soups with codonopsis and ginseng and astragalus. And it's very therapeutic. And I'm very curious to hear what you think about the folks who are sensitive to yeasts. You know, my experience is that 
as you said, most of the sensitivities that people are having to foods really have to do more with what's going on in their gut. And we certainly want to use therapeutic foods while we're healing somebody's gut. But a lot of people have questions about fermented foods when they are sensitive to yeast and how much to include them, if at all, as part of a gut healing protocol. What's your approach? Well, sadly, I don't have a one-size-fits-all answer for that. And, you know, so there's, let me tell you a little bit about my story and that will maybe help you understand. So when I was healing my body, I discovered that probiotics were what I needed. Um, I discovered that through, you know, going to my doctor and being like, Hey, I need help. I was swollen. I had had such bad allergies. I was so sick. Like I was, I really had multiple chemical sensitivity, fatigue. I was getting panic attacks all the time. My histamine production was out of whack or I guess my histamine degradation was out of whack. And so I was asking her what I could do. And she's like, why are you here? And she was like upset at me. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, well, I mean, you're going to, she's like, I'm going to write a prescription. You're not going to fill it. I don't think it's going to do anything anyway. And you know more about this than I do. So what are you doing here? That's awesome. Like, oh my gosh. And I was seeing her. I was seeing her patients. I was working as a health coach for a lot of her patients, uh, but I was still struggling with my own stuff. And I went home that day and just really, I mean, I, I honestly felt like the last train left the station and I was just like waving at it with tears in my eyes, like, bye, I, you, I thought you were the one that was going to save me. Mm. And so I took responsibility. I really like delved in and, and just did even more research than I had before. And this was in 2005. And I uncovered the uh, idea that possibly this could be gut health. I started taking probiotics and I'm trained as an herbalist. And so I asked myself, I had to know, like, how did my ancestors get probiotics into their diets? They didn't take these pills that were made in laboratories. So how did they get this essential organism, you know? And so that's when I discovered that fermented foods were the whole food version of probiotics, so I started making them and experimenting and I ate them a lot and it, it got me really far on my healing journey. And I think of a healing journey as a staircase, you know, you take, you take one step at a time and not every step looks the same. You know, it's like a staircase in a hippie's house that has like painted each one a different color and put different designs on each one. Um, because when you are on your way up that staircase, fermented foods might work really well for you in the process of getting rid of yeast for a while. And then for me, there was a few steps later where I couldn't eat them at all for a couple months. And I just, I had to stop. I actually went off all fermented foods altogether. And I I did what I call a low microbe diet. I did this basically two month long vegan cleanse with no fermented foods whatsoever and just kind of cleaned out my bioterrain and stopped adding more noise because I just couldn't seem to kick candida with adding all of these, like I'd add the fermented foods and I'd either have a histamine reaction or it just felt like it was still feeding the candida. And so that was kind of my final process to, to really kicking that. So what the answer is, it just really depends on people's situations. I work with clients who we do fermented foods, we bring them in and their candida and their yeast overgrowth goes quite, quite far away. And they seem to get into balance really easily, very quickly. And then I work with other clients, which I feel much more like I can relate to because I went through it where it's just, it's hard. Like it's not always the same thing that you're reacting to every single day. And 
yeast could be yeast can be a hard thing for some people's bodies to really fully kick. It really is. I actually sometimes use fermented foods and probiotics almost as a test because I know that if I'm, you know, a lot of things we can learn just by trial. We don't have to do expensive testing. And often just giving someone who has gut dysbiosis, symptoms, bloating, gas, allergies, histamine intolerance, um, headaches, it can be any number of things, food reactions, chemical intolerances, which also is partly um, liver detox, but sometimes giving them a probiotic or giving them a fermented food for a few days, if they're more reactive, that actually gives me a lot of information. And I'll tell them ahead of time, you know, we're kind of doing like a little bit of a challenge here. And I've seen exactly the same thing, um, more so with probiotics than with fermented foods. But I think that's also sometimes some of the probiotics are so concentrated that starting low and going slow is important. But often um, when somebody has small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, if I start them on a probiotic when they weren't quite ready yet, then it, it can exacerbate symptoms. And one thing I learned in my studies for my book is that actually what you say, um, going not only vegan, but also grain-free for one week. And I'm not an advocate of low-carb or grain-free diets in general, but therapeutically, just going grain-free and yeast-free, even for one week for some people, can allow that microbiome to reset. It's pretty, it's very resilient. Yeah, so, I, I did the, I did mine grain-free as well. And so, yeah, it was like that, but I went for two months and I really, I really think that like going that 60 day mark for my body was very significant. Um, for some reason, that's when it really felt like something shifted. No, I agree. I often tell my patients, um, really give something two months to see because it can take a while for your body to adjust, but then other people have really quick responses, which is always nice, but it's important for folks not to get discouraged if it does take two months. And especially when you, you know, we've all, you know, by the time most of us are 20 years old in the United States, we've had at least 18 rounds of antibiotics. And that's an enormous amount. I mean, even one dose of certain antibiotics can just completely wipe out a whole species of flora. So it's not surprising that it might take a couple of months or more to, to heal the gut. And it's not just healing the microbiome, it's healing the gut lining as well. So I have a, I have a, I'm curious in terms of what do you think are some of the biggest mistakes that people make when they're trying to heal their gut on their own? You know, I, I really think the, one of the biggest mistakes is that people tend to view our gut through the same lens that Western medicine views our body. So this idea that either there's something you need to add or there's something that you need to take away. And it's like one thing, there's one thing, this is the one thing, I think the magic bullet concept and mentality is very detrimental. And, and this, and we transfer that to the world of probiotics and we think, okay, well, so uh, I must be missing this probiotic. So I need to take this probiotic in a pill form and then that's going to make me better. And the truth is, is that it's close, but that doesn't encompass what's really going on. We have an ecosystem in our gut. And we also have what I call the bioterrain. Like I've, other people have used that term, coined that term, but I think this makes a lot of sense in this context. The bioterrain is really all of the nutrients, the enzymes, the water, the neurotransmitters, like everything in that environment that it's supporting, feeding, and giving life to whatever lives there. 
And I think that if you take it one step back from the organisms and you go one step behind the organisms, what's supporting them, it's that bioterrain. And when you start paying attention to having a healthy bioterrain, having less toxicity in your body, having less inflammation, um, and really thinking about it in terms of a, a, it's this relationship. We talk about it as a symbiotic relationship between us and the bacteria. So if we have a healthy bioterrain, we support probiotics to live there. And these probiotics, the ones that are good for us, uh, are the ones that secrete lactic acid and short chain fatty acids and vitamins. And that lactic acid is actually a natural antimicrobial that keeps pathogenic organisms from growing inside of us. And so that's the symbiosis. They're helping us. We're helping them. If we take antibiotics like you're talking about, and every time we take them, it gets harder and harder to bring the probiotics back. And what happens is you end up with like yeasts, you end up with dysbiotics, various bacteria that should not be growing in certain places and shouldn't be growing in certain larger amounts. And these bacteria mess up the bioterrain. They actually trash it even more. So it ends up being this horrible, vicious cycle. I call it the human sewer situation because you end up with this metropolis of bacteria living in your gut that shouldn't be there or yeast included. And they're eating the food that you eat. They're fermenting it and they're excreting toxins. They're excreting things that are irritating to the gut lining, irritating to the tissues. They're excreting toxins that are getting absorbed directly into your bloodstream getting filtered through your liver. And so for me, that's why I really connect multiple chemical sensitivity to my gut because I had so much of a human sewer situation going on that it was clogging up my liver and causing me to have multiple chemical sensitivity. So, you know, it's, it's this really horrible, vicious cycle. Um, But I think that's the biggest mistake is looking at it through the lens of, Oh, add this probiotic. It'll make everything better. No, it's really, how do we cleanse, nourish, feed and build up this bioterrain so we create an environment where the probiotics want to live because the American Gut Project, which is awesome, it's this really cool uh, organization that's created all of these studies and research and they're collecting poop samples from people all over the world and cataloging what they're finding. And one of the, the findings is that the number one factor of what kinds of bacteria grow in your gut and this might be surprising for some people, (laughs) is what you eat. It's not what kind of probiotics you take. It's what you eat. And so I think that's really fascinating. If you look at people's actual gut makeup, you'll find that what they eat influences it more than anything else. And so that I think you can feed your bioterrain through your food and stop focusing quite so much because some of the most important bacteria in your gut are not found in probiotic supplements. So stop focusing quite so much on the probiotic supplements and really focus on what are you feeding that whole bioterrain. I could not agree with you more. You know, one of the things that I get very concerned about is how um, limited people's diets are. And it's really tough because we have, you know, you see clients, I see patients, we see people coming in with a lot of food intolerances, food sensitivities, chemical sensitivities. And so their diets, as they're trying to just find the foods they tolerate, get narrower and narrower and narrower. And you have to have not just good food, but actually quite a diversity of different foods. So it's almost like, you know, when I think about the gut, I think about a garden 
And what we know from gardening is that monoculture, when you plant one crop in a soil year after year after year, you're, you're depleting the soil, that very bioterrain you're talking about. So what are your thoughts for folks who, and, and it sounds like you had this experience with histamine intolerance, who are trying to heal their gut, need to, in order to heal their gut, eat a wide variety of foods, especially green leafies, a lot of good fiber, um, resistant starches, things like that, but are food intolerant. How do you get people started in that healing process? So you mean, how do you bring them into a healing diet when they're allergic to some of the foods that are on that diet? Yeah, I'm curious how you do it in your work that you work with patients. How do you bring in diversity in the diet to support a good bioterrain to really feed that healthy flora when they're very intolerant of so many foods? What's your approach? Got it. Yeah. So my approach is to, it's, I call it creating wiggle room. So you want to create wiggle room in your health and in your body, which means you want to go for as long as possible without symptoms. Because I remember when I was really reactive, I could only go like maybe an hour without symptoms. And, you know, like it seemed like it would just pop up out of nowhere sometimes and I'd eat something and one day I was allergic to it and one day I wasn't. And I'm using that term loosely. I mean intolerant a lot of the time I'm talking about foods. So it was really intense. And so I understand that that's where some people are at, but I've noticed that if you can stretch out the time in between reactions, you're building momentum, you're building strength in your body and you're building up healing time, you know? And so I don't worry too much about people eating a diverse diet at first. My biggest, I guess my biggest guiding force is making sure that people are eating the things that they don't react to so that they can build that wiggle room. And that that's really what gives them even more vitality to overcome the issues at a deeper level. That's when they're every hour that they don't have those symptoms, they're quickly dividing intestinal cells are healing and they're healing very quickly. So um, every time you have a reaction, you're, you're bringing a ton more inflammation into that situation and then your body has to heal from it again. So, I mean, and I don't think it's a mistake when you accidentally end up in symptoms. You're just learning. Like, instead of looking at all of this as, like, problems, I just look at it all as information. And we just keep gathering information and keep trying to have more time in between any kind of flare-ups or reactions. So that's, right. that's my main approach. And I honestly, I love it. I, I enjoy it. And so here's the one thing I want to say about this first is I went for two weeks. And this will freak out the soy people, if nothing will. I went for two weeks at one point during my whole healing journey where all my body wanted, like I was really listening and all my body wanted was blueberry smoothies with soy milk. Mm. And I'm not kidding. <laughs> and I was having a hard emotional time. I was going through a breakup and I was really trying to listen to my body because my health was not in the best place. And I did blueberry smoothies every day. That's all I ate for two weeks. And it's just what I needed. And I was listening to a a podcast this morning and fully raw Christina was being interviewed on it. And she talked about how she went for two weeks eating peaches and only peaches for two weeks. It's just what she needed for that time to, to kind of bridge a gap. So yeah. that's my theories. It's really powerful when we start listening to our bodies and suspending some of the rules. I think that's, we can get really stuck in rules and stop listening. You mentioned something really important and powerful earlier, 
which was that you really had to get to the root cause for you, which was stress. And there's some really powerful data on stress and our gut. I mean, just in a nutshell, when your stress response kicks in, this is for listeners, not you, I know you know this, but when your stress response kicks in, your body diverts energy away from your gut. It diverts blood flow away from your gut lining. So your blood flow getting diverted away means that for a short period of time, your gut is not, it's not starving, but it's not getting nourished. And it's also not getting the blood flow that removes toxins. It keeps circulation good. Even just one week of stress, like one week of pretty significant stress can completely shift your microbiome contents from the healthful bifidobacterium and lactobacillus and other more predominantly healthy species to some of the more pathogenic species like clostridium species. And stress creates a lot of chemical reaction in your body that changes the entire chemical milieu that is feeding this bioterrain that Summer is also talking about. And then you get in a vicious cycle because these more unhealthy bacteria and yeasts start to off-gas and produce chemicals that also change your mood. They can make you more anxious. So I'm very curious um, to have you share with listeners what it was that helped you to understand that stress was just such a huge piece for you, and how did you make the shift? I mean, you're a teacher, you run an online business, you're busy, you're seeing clients. You had to somehow hit the pause button and do something. What, what was that wake-up call for you, and what did you do? Yeah. I mean, it was, it's really been a long journey because I think that I was born in a very high stressed state and I just don't think that I ever got out of it for years for most of my life. Um, and that was probably the first realization was like, Oh wow, I was born in a really traumatic way. I mean, it was natural birth. Thank goodness. But I, I think it really clicked on fight or flight from that moment forward. Um, and so I think first of all was the awareness I think that I just kept working with it. And even just a few years ago, I have a word every year and I had my word of the year be relax. And so I use it in all different ways. I'll use it in my passwords. I'll use it in like, you know, for that year, that's like how I, 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 I like basically kind of let it inundate my entire life and my subconscious. And so I kept being faced with this concept of relax because I wanted to know, well, what does it mean? Cause I'm honestly telling you the truth when I say I didn't know what it meant to relax and I didn't know how. So I was constantly messing up my gut environment. I mean, there's, st- there's some stuff out there that says that even potentially like one ride in like a, a plane that fighter flight, the fighter pilots go through can actually uh, kill off bacteria just in one plane ride with them. Yeah. Um, there's, I mean, it, there's some really intense information out there and they say 80% of all disease is caused by chronic stress, um, and, or chronic disease is caused by stress. And so, you know, I, I think it's, you have to learn what it is in your life that you're doing that's causing you to be more stressed out. So it's really a practical approach. And I mean, some of the things I'm going to say right now are things that I think everybody sort of knows. It's sort of along the lines of eat your vegetables. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We know, but like, are you actually doing these things? So I think that you really have to like, this is so funny, but this is where I go with it. But I think you have to clean your house. I think you have to organize your life. 
I think you have to get clear about your schedule. I think you have to own your time and own your schedule and say no to things that don't serve you. And I think ultimately you have to get very, very clear. What is the care and feeding of yourself? You know, I mean, I, the best way I can explain this to the people in my life is I'm like, Hey, you know what, you guys, I'm pretty easy to figure out. If you treat me like the same way you would a dog, feed me regularly, exercise me a lot every day and let me go take some naps and sleep well every night. Like that's kind of the recipe. It's very simple. And the truth is, is Aviva, most people aren't doing those basic things. They're treating their dogs better than they're treating themselves. You know, they're eating, they're letting, they're feeding their dog at the same regular time every day and not themselves, you know? And so I think that there, that that's one side of it. Like I I would call that the entire um, bucket of handling your life, getting really clear. What is your self-care non-negotiables? And then I think another piece to this is your mental state. And I learned a ton about this from my boyfriend. He talked to me a lot and has taught me a lot about survival um, and what he learned in survival courses. And I've applied this to to the gut. And it's actually been some of the more profound stuff that I've learned. In a survival course, they teach you that in a life or death situation, the first thing that you do is you have to take an inventory and you say, okay, what am I in charge of and what am I not in charge of? Right. So that's your inventory. You're not in charge of the fact that an avalanche happened. You can't do anything about it. So stop thinking about that. You don't start going, why me? How come I ended up here? Like you just go, okay, avalanche got it. Okay. What am I in control of? And you take this inventory and you decide really what you are in control of. And you then from that point forward, exhibit a positive mental state and you only focus on the things that you're in control of. And something I've noticed about people who have a lot of gut dysbiosis is they generally spend a lot of their day focusing on the things that they have absolutely zero control of. They spend a lot of time worrying about those things, trying to solve them, trying to change them. And ultimately, they've got to just have a positive mental state and just focus on what they can do. And I I mean, I think that's the, the second bucket. And then the third bucket is emotions, and what you do with your emotions. I mean, it's about being positive and things like that. But like a lot of people who are struggling with gut health are struggling with a lot of negative emotions too, because when your bacteria aren't growing properly in your gut, you're not getting as much serotonin and GABA and all these other amazing neurotransmitters that will flood your enteric nervous system and your brain and everything so that you can feel happy and feel good. And so you're going to be feeling more anxious. You're going to be feeling funky. And And you're going to be stuck in that fight or flight response. A lot of people are stuck in that fight or flight response and not resting and restoring like they need to. And so the emotional piece, I call emotional detox. You've got to figure out how to let yourself feel stuff and train yourself and, and set up your life to where you can feel more positive, to where you can actually have an experience of positive emotion. I mean, it really means you have to make some major decisions about what you're willing to experience on a day-to-day basis. It's a lot of no's. <laughs> it's a lot of, you, you learn how to say no really well. That's so funny. I just did an interview for someone this morning and my big thing is just really, we have got to learn to put on our oxygen mask. My whole next book, which I know you don't know, this is is literally about how we just get stuck in survival mode. We're just stuck in the on position. Ah. And I, I couldn't agree with you more about making the decision. And you said it so clearly and so strongly and so unapologetically 
that we have to start handling our lives. I mean, all the things that we say yes to when in our minds, we're really saying in our, and not just our mind, but our whole body, like our gut is saying, you've got enough on your plate, don't do it. But then this other part of you, whatever it might be, your you know, your own life history that's saying, yeah, but I want to fit in or I want to be liked or I want to be approved or I want to get ahead or I need to make more money or all these stories we tell ourselves. I mean, granted, there's a ton of external stress in the world, but that external stress is a lot like the avalanche. There's just nothing we can do about what's happening that, you know, just is happening because of insane levels of stress in the world too but we can actually steer our own boat. I think we can steer our own boats a lot more than we've ever been led to believe. I, I can't agree with you more about saying no. My, my, one of my mottos in life is it's not a hell yeah, it's a hell no. <laughs> and I had to learn it the hard way. Yeah, that's I mean, awesome. Yeah, I had to learn it the hard way too. You know, for me, um, I had a big, and thank you for sharing all that, that personal story. It's really powerful. I had a big life transition about a year and a half ago, where I left a big and powerful job with a big and powerful person. And I was terrified to make the leap, but I knew I had to do it to take care of myself. I was so out of harmony with myself in this position. And when I left the job, what I should have been maybe scared or like, oh my God, I just let go of like my entire main income. And it was like this motor in my gut that had been running for 40-something years, 47 years, 48 years, just stopped. And what I thought all that time was like drive or ambition, all the things that I thought that were getting me to say yes to things, what I actually discovered was it was just anxiety and like like sort of a, an organic response to trauma that I didn't need anymore. And having that realization that I could say no to things and take and actually have the, the the right to take care of myself was so powerful. So I'm glad you had that and that you're working. It's a, it's a process too, right? Like you just keep, it's something that comes up and you work on it at another level. At least for me, it is. I think so. You keep circling back around. And I have two more real quick things to say about this topic before we get off, this, off of the subject, because this is to me, I work with people who are really clean eaters and they haven't figured this stuff out. And usually this is the place where they have to do the work. And so um, one thing that I will say that I didn't bring up in terms of like what's really helped me is, um, you know, honestly, I have to say my boyfriend is so incredibly supportive on this one level in terms of relaxation. He exudes relaxation. And I really feel like I have to thank him in a way for some of the lessons I've learned here. And something that I really... Like he's really good at just like putting his arm around me and I am really good at learning how to just relax into that and like letting myself relax into the support of another person. I was so independent for so long and felt like I had to do everything myself. It's actually really important for us. We are social beings. We're social animals. And you have to look at the other social animal dynamics in the world to start to understand this. But I do think that's something that a lot of people are missing out on is like lean on the people who love you and let them support you a little bit because they actually need to give you some of that calming for your nervous system so that you can get out of fight or flight. Some of that can't be done on your own. And then the other thing I would say is I, um, I, I healed my, my uh, environmental allergies years ago. And this year, 
I did get stressed out in the spring and I started for, I had, I was having like, I was sneezing and like my eyes were watering and I was having these like environmental allergy symptoms. And granted the pollen was so thick that there was like an inch on the deck in my backyard. Like it was insane. Um, it was the highest levels they've had here. And so I was struggling with it, but I went to, um, to my functional medicine practitioner and he said, you know, cortisol actually interplays with histamine. And I was like, oh, really? And he's like, yes, in a big way. And so I literally that day stopped doing all the things that I was doing that was stressing me out. I changed my mind. I readjusted my life. I started taking better care of myself. It was a sh- an immediate shift. And I made a ton of changes. And within 24 hours, I was not allergic anymore. It was it, gone again. It's powerful. I, a lot of people don't know that there's a really strong connection between um, cortisol, adrenal function, health, that stress response, and histamine intolerance, um, hives, allergies, all of these can be triggered by stress reactions. Not only that, but things like stealth infections like Epstein-Barr virus can be re-liberated by stress. So, you know, it's so it's so easy to forget to just sort of slow down hit the pause button. I think that's the most important thing to do when we have symptoms is just take a step back and say, you know, how can I recalibrate what's going on? I think about it as system overwhelm. You know, that's how I think about this whole survival overdrive is getting into systems overwhelm and your gut, your gut healing. It's like your innate healing capacities get overwhelmed because they have too many inputs coming in at once. And so what are some of the inputs that we can shut down a little bit. It's like when you're, you know, when you have too many programs open on your computer and your computer goes in a spin, you have to kind of reboot, right? You have to shut it down and reboot it to restart it. And that's how I think we need to think about what is overwhelming us right now and what can we take off our plate? Like you said, you know, what do you really have to do? What prior, how do you prioritize? All right. So I want to shift gears before, before I let you go, because I I don't want to take up too much of your day, but I have to ask you the sort of like million dollar question here because so many of my readers wrote in today when I told them I was interviewing you and asked about kombucha. So I'm really not a huge kombucha. I I think of kombucha personally as a beverage. I do not think about it as something that people should drink daily as a therapeutic drink. Uh, I really do think of it more as a beverage. You know, people ask me about it in pregnancy. I'm not a huge fan because there's, my understanding is there's some alcohol content, some sugar content, but you are the fermentationist. So please, can you give us the skinny on kombucha, what you think of it? Is it an elixir? Is it a beverage? Is it somewhere in between? Is it helpful? How much sugar? How much alcohol? Should you drink it in pregnancy? That kind of stuff. Oh, I love this topic. Well, of course, fermentation. This is what I totally geek out on. So I actually wrote a great article about this recently on my blog at fermentationist.com. So just FYI, you guys can go there. It's called The Dark Side to Kombucha. (laughs) Um, And so I think that I have... So I do have some strong feelings about kombucha. I think kombucha has some some pros and I think it has some cons. And one of the things I'd say, let's talk about the pro camp for a minute. Pro, I think it's a great gateway ferment for people who don't like fermented foods. So I think it gets some kind of use to the sour flavor. It starts inoculating their system with some of the elements that can help, you know, lean us toward, ha- toward having a, a healthy bioterrain. And I think that 
it does aid digestion a ton. So I think that for a lot of people, they're getting some major digestive support from that sour flavor. Their gastric juices are flowing. They're getting more hydrochloric acid. There's a little bit of acid in there from the acetic acid. So they're increasing their assimilation of protein as well as minerals, which most people are actually struggling and deficient in. So I think that there's some support. I think that's why people like it. I also think that it's alcohol, sugar, caffeine, and that's the trifecta of, you know, some of the world's biggest traded, you know, drugs, essentially. I mean, I think wars have probably been fought over some of those drugs. Mm -hmm. And I, I just think that in that way, of course, it's going to get people into a desire cycle and a craving cycle. Um, I think for my folks who struggle with candida and dysbiosis, kombucha is not, I've not found kombucha with any of those folks to be a good fit. I have not. I find that it gets, I find that it gets them yeasty and it can set them off into a whole tailspin that for some people can take them months to get out of. So I generally try to keep people away from it if they know that they're sensitive or they're having trouble. And sometimes I've had people come to me and I ask them to remove kombucha from their diet and they do. And then a lot of their symptoms clear up. So I think it just depends. That's kind of like I've seen both sides of it. And on my article that I wrote about it, I actually I wrote some different people's experiences because I know people who have fed it to like my friend fed it to her grandfather who had gout and all his gout symptoms went away and it worked for his body. You know, he wasn't a big sugar eater. So I don't think it was an imbalance for his system. Um, and he grew up in a time where sugar wasn't quite the, the, (laughs) quite the, the thing it is today. And yeah, so me personally, I don't drink kombucha regularly. I will drink it on a hot day at the farmer's market and I'll get it like on draft or whatever and have probably four ounces at the most. And I probably do that once a month in the summertime. I mean, we're talking, I probably drink like 20 ounces of kombucha a year. Yeah. So um, um, given what you're saying, I would, it sounds like you would concur. This is not a great idea, except maybe on very limited pleasure occasions during pregnancy either. And and I haven't been a fan because of the alcohol and the sugar. I didn't even realize there was a caffeine component to it, actually. Yeah, people say the caffeine gets eaten by the kombucha SCOBY, but that's not true. And um, also the sugar content doesn't decrease in that first seven days. The, the, uh, I think the disaccharides just turn into monosaccharides. So they haven't really done enough sugar consumption at that point to make a dent in the sugar content for most people's home kombucha. And there's no regulations on this stuff. Okay. And <laughs> so labels can say whatever, that's whatever they, they, that was when it was tested that day. But, um, you know, there's also, uh, on microbialfoods.org, which is a great website. I recommend you guys all check out if you're interested in the art of fermentation and the science behind it. There is an article there where they did some studies on scobies on the kombucha scobies, which is the mushroom, you know, that ferments it. And they found that only 30% even had lactobacillus. So I honestly, Aviva, I don't even call kombucha a probiotic anymore because you can't even guarantee that it has the probiotics. And if you look at some of the ones in the store, like GTs who says, yes, this is probiotic, they add bacillus coagulans to it after they've made it so that they can call it probiotic. And I mean, I have my own questions about bacillus coagulans as a, as a, like, is that really the probiotic you want to like count on? 
No, I'm with you. Yeah, I I just tell people, look, it's usually not lacto-fermented. It's got alcohol. It's got sugar. So think of it as anything else that you would think of with alcohol and sugar. And that's the frequency that, you know, that limited frequency would be the reasonable frequency and not during pregnancy, just because we don't really know. I'm also concerned about just home fermentation, um, you know, that just people are just selling stuff in the market. I think home fermentation is brilliant. I'm so supportive. But it's sort of like when somebody is selling raw milk, you kind of want to know who the farmer is and making sure they're checking for listeria and stuff when you're pregnant. Not in, I'm just talking about when you're pregnant. So I'm a little more cautious with that as well. Well, thank you for sharing your views on it. I'm sure there's been controversy when you've spoken about it, because it's so, I, I can't go anywhere with, you know, like yoga conferences, it's just on tap all the time now. Well, you know why people get so flustered when you say that it's not good for you? It's because it's they're addicted to it. I know. It's because it's an, it's, there's so many addictive substances in that one thing. And just like with, when you go out to eat and every, and somebody like loves spicy food and you're like, no, I'll take mild. And they're like, oh, you're such a wimp. Come on. <laughs> It's because they get an endorphin rush when they eat the peppers. It's an addiction. I mean, it, it, you know, it's not necessarily like a harmful addiction, but, you know, if when you threaten people's addiction, they, they react. Very true. Well, it's good food for thought, good food for our guts. Summer, you have graciously offered to give listeners a free gift if they go to fermentationist.com backslash Aviva. And tell everyone what you are giving, because this is so cool. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, I'm giving everybody the Making Fermented Veggies training series. I want to teach you guys how to make it. I actually think everybody should make it at least once. Uh, This is something that I'm really passionate about. And I think that ultimately, when you look at a jar of sauerkraut fermenting and bubbling on your countertop, you're witnessing a bioterrain in action. You're watching this. You just took cabbage and salt and whatever other veggies you wanted. You stuff them down in a crock. You create an anaerobic environment. You don't add bacteria. And yet, these amazing probiotics start proliferating and growing in massive quantities for you to then consume. So you have your own probiotic factory in your kitchen. And I just think it's fascinating. That's what I want everyone to understand is happening in your body. So like learning how to do what sauerkraut has mastered, (laughs) like let sauerkraut be the master and you be its grasshopper. I love it. I love it. I think of sauerkraut as like the food of my people. I just love it. And I agree. I have made krauts, kimchi, pickles. I've also done sourdough, which is really fun too, because it's that same bioterrain. I just discovered, and I thought I knew pretty much, like I thought I was a pretty good foodie, but I didn't realize that chocolate was a fermented food, which was kind of fun to discover. I watched Michael Pollan's video cooked, his video series, and there was a whole fermentation of chocolate, uh, the cacao pods. It was the insides of the pods. So cool. So fermentationist.com backslash Aviva for your amazing video tutorial on making probiotic rich fermented veggies, the good kind for your gut. And Summer, how can folks learn more about studying with you and working with you? Just go check out fermentationist.com. It has a lot of information there. You can scroll down at the very bottom and I have various other websites linked to it. I have my gut rebuilding program, gutrebuilding.com. I also have summerbach.com where I release guts and glory podcasts and various other blog posts. 
So a few different places, but yeah, I mean, I would love to hear from people, any questions that you guys have after listening to this, you know, go to those articles at Fermentationist, respond to some of those. Let me know. We'll, we'll respond on the blog there. I love it. I love what you're doing. I love your strength, your clarity, your passion, and your just generosity in teaching folks how to do this for themselves. How to, you know, how to take our healthcare back in our own, own hands is my biggest passion. And I can see that you are in that, on that same path. It was such a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you for making the time to join us for this generous gift. And I'm just delighted to know you. Thank you. Thanks, Aviva. I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to chat with everybody about my favorite subjects. Well, join us again. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And if you found this helpful, please drop a comment in the comment section on the podcast, too, because that's how iTunes will let more women know what's going on so more people can hear about summer and what we're all doing in this amazing world of helping folks heal their gut and reclaim their health and their life and their energy. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Natural MD Radio. If you did, please go to avivaram.com and join the conversation about the show on my blog. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. It's free and it's jam-packed with powerful tips to help you take back your health naturally. That's avivaram.com. Take care and see you next time.